Well, should we should we just like should we just should we start over? Uh, no. I mean, I'll edit some of this out, and then okay. at this point, listeners will be like, "What's happening? We're two minutes into this podcast, and these guys can't get their act together." Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. We're back on the show. It's been a few weeks since we recorded. We had the holidays. I don't know. My house had a bunch of illness, which appears to be continuing. Everyone's been sick since a week before Christmas. Uh, and it is just Scott and I today. Hello, Dr. Scott Nelson. How are you? What's up, dude? How are you? I'm well. Good to see you. Um, as I think listeners know, our last episode was Bailey's last episode. Um, I did see her the other day. We got to hang out for a little bit, and that was nice to spend some time with her. Um, but we're back. This is the original format, the dynamic duo, just the two of us, two white guys and a microphone. That's right. Well, I mean, two two microphones, you know. That's true. Two, two white guys, two microphones. I mean, that's what, you know, that's the rules of podcasting is that uh, each, uh, each liberal white male uh, has to get a... Uh, Get their own microphone right right in their own podcast well um listeners thanks for hanging with us i think we're this is episode like 226 which means we should hit episode 250 by the middle of the year right hopefully here in a week or so uh, we'll have an office and a podcast studio set up once again we can record in person we can have guests join us in person i think we're going to really get back on and resume the podcast that you know and love I mean, that's assuming there's not another global pandemic. I mean, it is. It is. I mean, it was, it's crazy, dude. It's crazy. We're coming up on three years, man. I like, know. We're we are we are we're like six weeks away from the three year anniversary. It was three years ago, like three years ago this week, I think, that you and I and Bailey sat down for what was going to be the first of like three times that we recorded together in person before COVID hit at our old yeah. studio. Yeah. Um, and then, and then that office moved and then, and then we were shut down. You know, shut down and then, <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, the mind boggles um, at, you know, where we're at and where we've been uh, in the, t- in the intervening time uh, I've moved, you've had a child, uh, you know, we're, uh, I'm not going to say we're on the other side of the pandemic. We're still, you know, COVID's still with us, but I think it's, you know, going to be ever present at this point. So, yeah, I think things are very different. And my house in the last uh, four weeks, we've had all of us had the flu. My daughter had strep. My wife had something else, not COVID, not flu, not RSV. Now Margot's got something else. I'll say, uh, I, I texted you this, Scott, the governor and and Superintendent Ryan Walters visited my daughter's daycare on Wednesday, and then Thursday, she had a fever. I, you know, I know that they are, uh, they've been public about their questioning stance on vaccinations. I don't know. I'm not saying that they infected my daughter, but you're not not saying she, it. I'm not not saying. I don't know, right? So, um, from the video that he posted, I didn't see him uh, shaking her hand or anything. But you know, they're all in the shared space. Who knows? I thought you were about to say something. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> we're just breathing. Uh, well, Scott, I, you know, now that we're, we're back and we're recording this, it's almost the legislative session. Holy cannoli. Speaking of, you know, not just three years of COVID, but we're back at it. We're about to begin the first regular session of the 59th legislature. 
uh, in just less than two weeks. Have there already been 59 of these? No, there's been 58. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Let's see the scenes. I think as, you know, I was thinking about this today. We should probably kind of go back and make a, a very clear intent to to explain the process here. Because we have new listeners now that we didn't have when we started this podcast four years ago. I thought of this based on that philosophy podcast you sent me where they, they vowed to not name drop philosophers and authors that listeners might not know. I think we should also vow to not just um, go over processes that listeners may not be familiar with. I mean, that's a good point. You know, we spent a lot of time when we first started going over, you know, the the idea, we all think how a bill becomes a law and everybody thinks of, uh, everybody thinks of the uh, I'm just a bill video mm-hmm. from the, uh, what, 1960s, 70s, whatever that, whenever they made that. And that's true, um, but it turns out there's a whole lot of whole lot of steps, and some of them don't make any sense. And it depends on whether it's an appropriations bill or a non-appropriations bill. And then there's committees, and then there's joint committees, and there's joint subcommittees, and there's conference, and then there's I mean, there's just all kind of stuff. And there's vetoes yeah. and line item and veto. It, it gets it gets it gets it gets really complicated. Um, and and so we probably do need to go back and do I mean, honestly, for our own benefit, some some every every year, kind of a little refresher about exactly how all of this works you know the period that we're in right now um is we've we've you know the bill filing deadline has passed right lots and lots and lots and lots of bills have been filed for the upcoming legislative session i think i i think that sean uh sean ashley from e-capital i believe he said that the quorum call quorum quorum call excuse me quorum call man look at that e-capital that's a callback uh from quorum call I, I want to say he said it's a record number of bills, but also a record number of shell bills, like record numbers of, of both. Yeah, so there's roughly 3,000 bills that have been filed. I, I think it's a little bit over that. And about half of them are shell bills, right? And shell bills, as a reminder for new listeners, shell bill is a is a bill that's, a, well, it's a shell of a bill, right? It's got a title, and it has, but it has no like substantive language in the inside. So it's like, it is the framework that they could insert language into later. And the problem with this, and I actually, I talked to uh, Dale Denwalt, local political reporter about this the other day, but you know, the problem with shell bills is that it makes it really hard for the public to follow what's happening, right? A bill may move through the process without any language on just the assurance from the legislator of like, oh no, we're working out the language. We'll put it in later. And so sometimes bills will pass you know, out of subcommittee or even out of committee waiting for language to be inserted. And then that language might be inserted on the floor of the house and, and the legislature has no time to review it. Certainly the public doesn't either. Right. And so suddenly they have to vote on a bill with, with brand new language, right. That just sprang up right then. That doesn't seem to be uh, particularly transparent. It's a way to it's a way to bend the rules, right? Like, and now it's also a way to give themselves more time, right? Because this is supposed to be the bill filing deadline. This is a way to give yourself a bunch of vehicles in which in which they can insert language for bills that they don't know that they need yet, right? It's right. a way to it's a way to get around the deadline, which was supposed to be last week. Of after this, no new bills from here from here on. All we're doing is considering the bills that have been filed. Right? right. And and so it's what is well, this bill was filed and when we say consider, we mean right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The bill 
the bill, you know, the, the writing of bills that's supposed to have already been done and the legislature is supposed to consider them and amend them and adopt them, et, et cetera. Um, this is a way to give themselves the ability to write bills as they see fit during the legislative session. Right. I think it'd be one thing if they, if this happened like occasionally, like, you know, but you, there's no way that you can have like 1500 bills that are a working draft, right? Like we're obviously in, you know, eight of them have the same title and eight of these have the same title and that whole deal uh, just seems silly. Now I, Scott, one interesting piece that I, we should point out is that the house and Senate each have their own rules for their chamber. And those rules are similar, but not always the same. The Senate doesn't allow shell bills, I don't think. I think it's only the House that allows them. And I think it's only certain members that can file them, like just leadership. And supposedly this year in the rules, they are saying that like no shell bills are allowed to pass out of committee. Like they've got to have language before they can pass out of committee, which is a step in the right direction, but also still not all the way there. Also, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, right, they can always just bend <laughs> the rules, right? Right, it's, and and because as you said, right, shell bills can only be fired filed by leadership, and leadership, I mean, like leadership can kind of do whatever they want, right? Like the speaker, this the 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 speaker is like the absolute authority in the house, right? More so even than the pro tem is in in the senate, right? The speaker can kind of do whatever he or she wants, and so um, you know, on a lot of the shell bills are. Mr. Speaker's bills, right? So we'll we'll see if that we'll see if that happens. Um, you know, I I do I understand the purpose because a shell bill, you know, a shell bill is. I think they would say, I think I think they would say that shell bills are not intended to, uh, you know, obfuscate things from the public. The intent is, okay, I know I've got I've got a bill. I know I want it to do X, Y, and Z. I know it's going to be a heavy lift, or I know it's going to require a lot of negotiation from, you know, this group and this lobbyist and this committee and this leader and the Senate. And and so we're before I put all the language out there, we're not going to negotiate in public. We're going to do our negotiations. We're going to come to an agreement, and then we're going to put the we're going to put the put the language in the bill. And as you know, because um, we talked about it before. I don't actually intrinsically have a problem with that, right? Like, I actually agree that that sometimes negotiating in public is not the most effective way to to do it. Um, however, I think there certainly are instances where they use the shell bill process to to do things that they know aren't gonna, aren't aren't going to be popular and mm-hmm. and 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 kind of keep the keep the outcry to a minimum. As, I mean, as one example, there's, I don't know, five or six bills this year, shell bills that are all called the Election Reform Act of 2023. Well, we don't need that many, right? What are the odds that you're going to have five different things that come up that aren't already accounted for in the other, you know, 2,000 bills that are out there? Do we need we, one? Do we Do we I, even need one? I don't think so. I right, do we like do we need an election reform bill for some reason? Like, has there been a has there been a, a, a an epidemic of election fraud in Oklahoma that you and I are unaware of? No, well, no, because it's not really a thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just especially issues like that that are longstanding have huge consequences that definitely require or should require some buy in, some review, some thoughtfulness. Right, we don't we don't need an urgent 
election reform that we haven't already been talking about. Um, also, there are other mechanisms, right? They can substitute language into other bills. They can change titles for bills. Like there are, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as my grandpa I mean, would say. Yes, indeed, indeed. But we'll have, uh, we'll have, we will have ample time to go through all of this, um, yeah. and we'll we'll uh, take we'll we'll stop at various points along the way uh, to remind readers, and again, occasionally remind ourselves exactly what the process. I mean, I have to I have to relearn JCAB every year. <laughs> like oh, right. what, yeah, what, right. what goes through what what goes through jcab what doesn't how jcab works um um so and yeah and i'll say even you know so we've got two interns um this semester one is here in oklahoma and one is um from oklahoma but she is in dc she attends um george washington university and so hopefully we'll have uh, one or both of them on the podcast at some point this semester they both have a keen interest in legislation and policy how it's written um, how it's negotiated and how to track it from the outside. And so this week, as we've been reviewing this process, it was like playing OK, stop, right? Where I'm describing the process and there was lots of like, OK, stop, Andy, what? Why does it do it that way? And having to explain some of those loopholes. And they were like, what's this joint committee? I was like, we're not even going to talk about that <laughs> until like April, right? Just wait, let's do one thing at a time. But it really is, uh, I think, a good reminder for all of us about how how the process is supposed to work. And then it's good to talk about those exceptions, the loopholes, the workarounds, why they might be there. Are they appropriate? Or are they not? Like those are things I think we should all wrestle with. And, uh, and something else to keep in mind that we should tell ourselves and our listeners is that when session starts on the sixth, right? The first couple of weeks, we always get sucker punched. There's always some some big gnarly bills that get a lot of news. And even the ones that make it through committee or something may not make it all the way, right? So the, the overall process that we will refer back to is that we've got 3,000-ish bills now. And in a month, we'll have half that many, right? Essentially, half will be dead because they didn't go through committee. And a month after that, we'll have half of those. Right, right. The, yeah, the half-life of a bill is about one month, right? <laughs> and then, uh, for most of them. And it gets winnowed down fairly quickly. So that means that there's a lot of anxiety up front, and that anxiety doesn't go away. It just gets more focused on a fewer number of bills as the process goes along. But when listeners see absurd unconstitutional, egregious legislation in the news, as we already are, keep a little bit in the back of your mind of like, this might not go anywhere because, well, this guy files a lot of bullshit and it doesn't seem like it ever goes anywhere. Yeah. Right? I mean, they they, that as well. you know, part of this too is they blatantly ignore the limits on how many bills they're allowed to file. Right. Um, you know, Nathan Dom files bills entirely for the purpose of trying to fundraise and generate press coverage, right? Like, I mean, he's got what does he? Does, I mean, when's the when's the last time Dom authored a bill that was signed into law, right? Um, I don't know, right? Hey, but- his his bills his bills get more press than anyone else's, and most of them don't ever even get heard. He he sends out a press release with all of them. I, I get you know you can sign up for the the press releases emails. And so many from the last few weeks that he sent, like he sends it out. And I was like, someone, I think the pro tem needs to clamp down on his use of the uh, Senate's kind of press notification system. Cause it's a lot. And there are a lot of them are 
I think, yeah, openly designed to, to be, you know, we'll say clickbait, right? Like they're trying to be, to elicit a response. And I, I will say also, this is something I told our interns this week, Scott, is that, you know, for every legislator who files a bunch of stuff that is like just straight junk or that I just disagree with on policy, every now and then, you know, the old blind sow finds an acorn, another uh -huh. phrase from my grandfather. Nathan Dom filed a bill this year to authorize the construction of a nuclear power plant in Oklahoma, which is something that I actually agree with. And so it was like in a week where he had two or three things that I was like, this is ridiculous. And then that one came out. I was like, well, okay, <laughs> there's, mm -hmm. there's one good one there. Yeah. And so you can't, uh, sometimes we can't always write somebody off entirely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Well, Scott, what do you think uh, the main issue is so far in session that everyone's talking about? <laughs> um. Um, so education, education, and uh, education seems to be uh, what is sucking all the air out of the out of the room right now. Um, so state superintendent slash secretary of education. We'll come back to that. Ryan Walters. Um, so he had to he had to uh, he had to go in front of uh, was it appropes is who is who met this week the uh, the uh, the appropriation subcommittee yeah um, education subcommittee yeah. He, uh, he had to he had to go in front of them, and uh, what he was supposed to be doing was presenting uh, his budget request for the year. Um, now, the budget request for the State Department of Ed is set by the State Board of Education, um, which was previously headed by State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister. Um, in since that budget request was approved, the composition of the state board has changed dramatically. Uh, Secretary Hoffmeister, or Superintendent Hoffmeister, is no longer in office. Uh, Mr. Walters has replaced her. Uh, he he won that election, um, and and so rather than present, well, well, rather than really present the budget request that was previously approved. Um, he he kind of got into a fairly contentious back and forth with the chair of the committee. He was he was kind of doing some of his campaign speechifying again, um, and and there was a lot of kind of questions about why are we even why are we even meeting and what what ultimately came out of that was was Walter saying, well, the state board of ed is going to meet later this week. We're going to change our budget request. We're going to amend our budget request, basically to what I want it to be and what the governor wants it to be. Um, and then I'm going to come back next week and present that budget request. Um, and the committee was like, "So you just wasted everyone's time." Um, so, yeah, well, and I saw some some tweets from I forget who it was, some journalist that in, it seemed to, like it indicated that maybe several people's wires were. were cross like there was a miscommunication and i mean i don't know but it seemed like the legislature expected one thing walters expected something else and then the house staff expected a third thing and everyone was disappointed or wrong somehow and it's not clear what was actually supposed to happen right but regardless yeah. he then uh yesterday right thursday on the 26th walters presented his proposed budget for the upcoming fiscal year, right? F FY 24, which begins next July 1st, right? The next fiscal year. He presented that to the state board of education yesterday and they approved it. Yeah. His request. Yeah. And the, right. of course the state board is like entirely well, state appointees now. 
so this is what this is what has happened, right? Is the state board of education looks much different now um, mm-hmm. because, well, one, re- remind me when Stitt came into office, was state board of ed one of the one of the state boards that they that the legislature granted him like kind of like un, unlimited power to like like uh, appoint and remove members at will? Oh, it might have been. I know right. it was the board of health was one, right? Right, because that's one of the things they did is because Stitt, Stitt, one of the you know Stitt's big deal was like, um, I'm the governor, I'm the CEO of the state, even though that's not actually the case. Um, um, that's what he thinks of his job as, and so the legislature, um, at his request, gave him the power to uh, appoint to uh, to hire and fire members of a lot of state boards. And I'm trying to remember if the state board of ed was one of those, or if, or if that was one board where he always had this kind of outsized appointment authority. But, that, you know, two weeks ago, or within the last couple of weeks, um, he essentially dismissed four members of the State Board of Education and then put four new members on and kind of shuffled each where, where, where those members sit. So the, the board is now firmly people who are in agreement with the Ryan Walters and J. Kevin Stitt uh, education agenda. So they put together a budget request. The board's rubber stamped it. And he'll present that next week. Yeah. Well, and that means, so that's, everyone was like, ooh, he presented it and they approved it. I'm like, well, hang on though. Just because the state board of education approved it doesn't mean that um, the legislature is going to, right? I think we already know that the legislature and the the state administration have different opinions on this. This is a big fight last year, right? Vouchers were... A lot of legislators are not supportive of, of that. And it, whatever um, Walter's requests may or may not be funded by the legislature. And right. I think you can like line item say no to stuff, right? Right, exactly. So I think we'll see. So I think um, it'll be very interesting. And I know I think we are going to try to get some education advocates on the show next week or the week after to really kind of dig into this a bit more. Um, as we said earlier, you know, like there's no way any of us can be experts on all the legislation that's been proposed or all the issues. And education is an enormous thing. Um, the, the, also, um, this week, Walters sent a written request to the Department of Education and to the Chancellor of like higher ed asking for 10 years of records of any diversity, equity, and inclusion training or curriculum that has been taught in schools or as um, professional development or any of that stuff. And this seems, well, first of all, I don't know. Anyone has 10 years worth of <laughs> of that found, right? And, and he wants, he wants, he also wants dollar amounts. He wants a record of every dollar for the last mm-hmm. 10 years that has spent, been spent on any kind of training or education for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, which, and, I mean, I, every university employee has gone through that, just like most corporate America employees go through some kind of diversity training requirement. Right. right. And, and, and I also, you know, over Christmas, since we're talking about Ryan Walters, and this is, I think, pertinent, uh, you know, he also, over Christmas, posted a picture of his he and his wife and their kids posing uh, with Santa Claus at, at somewhere and said, no, no woke Santa for our family. Um, right. What does and, it mean? And, well, I mean, 
I know a lot of people took that that a lot of people took it to mean that Santa is that the only acceptable representation of Santa Claus. Um, I, I guess the only acceptable re- representation of Santa Claus, if you're Ryan Walters, is a Santa Claus who's white. Um, right. Right. Because what I mean, what else? Like, what else could that mean? Right. Um, um, so, so you know, when you take that and then you put that together with, I want 10 years of training. He didn't say 10 years of training on anti-racism. He didn't say 10 years of training on racial bias, 10 years of training on diversity, equity, and inclusion mm-hmm. um, with the implication that those things are bad. I mean, you know, I think it is irresponsible for anyone who is, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that we're public figures, but we've got a podcast and, you know, we've got, you know, tens of thousands of, of downloads over the years. Um, I don't know how many people actually listen, but a lot of people download it. Um, and so I don't, you know, I, I, I really, I think we try not to be in the business of being inflammatory or throwing out labels, but is it, is it going too far to say that Ryan Walters is, I don't, I don't know if he's a racist, but he's certainly acting like a racist. Like, is that right? I mean, that's a good question. It, I think I, I don't, I don't, so I'm not going to speak to his innermost thoughts, which I do not know, but I do think that he knows how to say things that will one elicit a response um two i mean there's some strategy in like keeping the other side angry all the time right uh, sure because they might get they it, eventually people get exhausted right like you can't be outraged at everything i think we saw that during the trump administration right that people were wearing themselves out about being angry about stuff that was certainly i mean uh, not say anger provoking, or it's just certainly provocative stuff, but not all of it like resulted in change to policy. And it it's it strikes me in some ways of like when you're engaging with a bully, that the response that that you give them is part of the deal, right? And so I think there's you know, I don't know it's tough, right? Like it, I I could see an argument say it's irresponsible to ignore it, right? Because then you could be kind of placating it or silence is acceptance but i also don't know that we have established a concrete way to push back in a way that's effective and like brings about change right and and not just stoke the fires right um yeah it's yeah it is i mean it's it's i mean that's the thing is how much of it is performative and how much of it is what he really believes but at the end of the day it also like does it matter Right. Like when you're like, does it, does it matter if you're asking for 10 years of data on DEI spending because you actually think that diversity and equity and inclusivity are, you know, real threats or are you doing it because you don't, you don't give a shit and you just, you just want to, you know, own the libs or keep your base happy at the end of the day, does the motivation actually matter? Right. That's a good question. I don't right. Know. You know, I, I am very interested to see how it plays out over this session. Right. I mean, we've seen elected officials before get in and then essentially like grind to a halt because they can't get stuff done. Um, and 
I don't know that we've seen anybody in recent years quite as like outrageous as some of the stuff that that Walter says or the governor yeah. has said. Right. But I guess we'll find out. I mean, I think the other thing, though, the other thing too is, you know, he's, you know, we're, we're you know, his budget proposal, um, you know, it was just finalized yesterday. We we haven't had a chance to review it. I think it was yesterday when when the state board, um, when they voted and 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 you know finalized this budget proposal, but. Um, we'll see the details of it between now and next week. The big thing is the previous the previous budget had I think like uh, five thousand dollar across the board teacher pay raise that was going to be like three hundred million dollars or something. Yeah. Um, he has cut that in half and wants it to be based on uh, like performance incentives. Um, in in and you know Senator Adam Pugh has a a pretty comprehensive education package that he has spent most of the last year the the legislative offseason putting together um a lot of people are excited about it i think a lot of folks in the education community feel like there's some good things there um, i don't know that it's all good but i think there's a lot of of good that that, that pe- people feel like are in the pew plan um yeah. and so i am curious to see what agenda gets through the legislature this year? Is it the state Walters agenda or is it the, the agenda from, you know, I mean, what I'll just say are the more serious people. Um, right. la- you know, last year, last year there was the vouchers um, that, di- that didn't go, you know, that, that didn't get through. Um, I'm sure they're going to make a run at that again this year. Um, but when, you know, last, last year there was the voucher plan, but there wasn't a lot of alternative um, this year when you've got, Walters and Stitt pushing for vouchers, but you've got um, someone like Adam Pugh, who's an experienced legislator at this point. I think this is going to be, uh, is this like his eighth year or something? Sixth year in the Senate? Um, oh, maybe. Did he just get reelected? Uh, I think he might have just gotten reelected. So this will be his seventh year, right? Um, that's, no, that's, that seems fifth. about right. I don't know. It all runs together. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> yeah, I think he got elected in eighteen, so maybe that maybe this is his seventh year. But we'll see. Um, how long he's he's been he's been around for, he's been around for a little while now. It's not it's not his first time. It's not his first time in session. Um, I, I think, think he's, he's starting his second term. I think he and like Julia Kurt are on the same schedule. Okay, okay. He's you know I think a lot of people like Senator Pugh. I think he's got a lot of good relationships. I think he's respected as someone who is certainly conservative, but generally speaking, is not a firebrand. Um, and and I, I think he will be able to uh, rally some folks to support his education plan. So we'll see we'll see what gets through. Yeah, yeah, I'm really interested to kind of well just to to see what happens and how this plays out. We we never know right from the beginning of session to um you know halfway through what's gonna happen and there will always be unexpected things so uh, you know cautiously optimistic that it uh that it plays out in a way that is beneficial to most oklahomans now scott uh you mentioned something earlier that i want to come back to because you said we were going to and that is you referred to ryan walters as state superintendent slash education secretary that is correct. He is both a, he is both an elected and appointed. So he has a, he's a statewide elected official, a state superintendent of education. He's also uh, a cabinet member of Governor Stitt because he was appointed to be secretary of education. So he gets two paychecks. 
He does. He makes more than the governor. He makes uh, 124000 as state superintendent, a little bit over that, plus an additional 40000 for his cabinet position. The hey, governor man. makes like 147000 Hundred and uh, hundred and sixty k a year plus for uh, making videos in your car. It's uh, nice work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma Watch has a good story about this, and as always, we'll link to all this stuff in our in the show notes if you're interested. Um, but they say that the two positions are distinct under state law. The main duty of the state superintendent is to control and direct the state department of education, as well as to advise the board of education to adopt policies and rules for the department. Uh, and, you know, they serve as chairman of blah, 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 all this stuff. And then the duties of the secretary of education include oversight of the Office of Educational Quality and Accountability, which is a state agency that handles teacher certification, teacher college accreditation, and generally advising the governor of policy changes or problems with education in the state. Now, did, is the, uh, the secretary of education, do you know if that's, um, like a established thing in statute or is that a position that the governor can can create whenever he wants or she wants like did the governor I, follow him that one? I do not know the answer to that I guess um if the governor creates a cabinet position how is it funded is that just funded out of the office of the governor's budget or and and they and the governor can pay that person however much he or she wants based on what's available in in their like in their budget. budget. Yeah, uh-huh. I think that's how it is because I mean, like the the chief operating officer was not a position that existed before Governor Stitt, and you know when he started that. And I think that's under the executive branch purview. And I mean, forty thousand dollars is not nothing, but it's not like a huge. It's not a. I, I would imagine not enough for most people to kind of live on, right? If you've got a family, and so I mean, his his data bill alone could be forty thousand a year. You know, <laughs> I mean, as many as many videos as he makes and uploads from his car, unless unless he's got one of those fancy cars with Wi Fi. Uh, um, I'm sure know. he's got a. He's probably got an unlimited plan. He also did a video the other day, like following the his budget presentation to the legislative. Um, subcommittee he like did a video in the hallway so he didn't take questions from the media but he like did a video walking along in the, in the hallway which i just thought was a little funny um and i i honestly don't i don't follow walters on social media i didn't end up seeing stuff because people retweeted and talk about it but well I don't... the th- the thing is that that's you know i mean i'll just say one thing um i don't i i think i follow him on twitter he didn't have that many followers last i looked he had like 1400 followers on twitter um, which well, people should stop retweeting stuff if they don't want. <laughs> right. He had like, he had like, he had like 1400 followers on Twitter. So I don't know if he's got more on Instagram or I don't know if he uploads his videos to TikTok. or I don't, I don't, I don't he know. Can. Well, you can now not on the state server or state device. Oh, that's right. Cause China might steal it. China might right. steal, uh, steal Ryan Walters, Ryan Walters, just exceptionally valuable content. They might know his location. I mean, that and Oklahoma's not the only state that's cracking down on that. That's like a legitimate thing. And I've heard from some like cybersecurity folks that like Americans should definitely be more concerned about the amount of data that China is able to pull from TikTok. Yeah, um, yeah. Ashley and I were just talking about this. She was like, she, she was like, are all of these like all these people that are concerned like, that are banning TikTok from devices? Um, 
um she's like is it like is that like a real thing or is that just like uh like you know because it's a lot of red states and, and in universities red states and i was like i think it's actually a real thing like i think there's yeah. there's actually um but anyway so yeah um well we'll we'll keep an eye on that um and we've got about uh, 10 minutes left in this episode, Scott. Let's talk about maybe the a few of the myriad of the other bills and topics that have been proposed this session, many of which we will undoubtedly come back to at some point. Um, and I thought we might start with some of the bills dealing with the initiative petition process. Um, I know this is certainly one that I pay close attention to, and you and I talk about it frequently. Um, as we expected, there's a couple of bills that would um, that seek to do a few different things that would meddle with the initiative petition process. Um, As though it's broken. Which, yeah, I mean, all of which, though, I think would have to go to not all, most of which have to go to a vote of the people, right? So there's one that would that would raise the signature. No, excuse me, one that would raise the percentage of like the vote share to a higher number. In order for passage so like right now for a state question to pass you have to get you know a simple majority 50 percent plus one vote and this would raise it to 55 or 60 percent for for measures but it's one of the bills is it would raise it to 60 percent but only for um state questions that are determined to raise expenses that like to cost the state money and so in those cases, it, I think there's some language they need to work out because it says it would apply to initiative petition. So originating with the people, right? Or well, you get signatures and that whole deal, but also to legislatively referred measures. But it says before you could even file it, like with the secretary of state to start the initiative petition, you have to present it to the state auditor and have them give you a determination about whether that would cost money. Uh, and so, it, but I don't think that you have to do that on the legislative side, right? So that's like a question I have. And also, if we're going to have some third party person review it to tell us if it's going to cost money, can they also tell us if it's going to save money? And then what happens, right? If it's going to save the state money, would we lower the vote threshold? Like it's just one of those kinds of things where there's a lot of things we could do that would arguably save the state money. Um but they don't ever talk about those. There's so much about this that makes me so angry. Um, you know, like, I mean, like, first of all, first of all, there's nothing wrong with the current state petition, initiative petition process, right? Like yes, it worked. Well, okay. Fine. Well, the <laughs> it's too hard. It is unnecessarily difficult in many different ways. Okay. Well, okay. I, I meant to say, um, touche. Touche. As someone who has run a ballot initiative, yes, it is already hard enough, <laughs> right? Yes. It's like yes, that's like a, the, that's, the, that's the right. It is already it is already hard enough. Um, this person or the people that are running these initiatives, they they are not trying to fix a problem. They are trying to make it more difficult for the people in Oklahoma to have a say in our government, right? Mm -hmm. um, particularly people who live in urban areas, because these people specifically don't like Sooner Care expansion, even though some of the people. Um, who are who are sponsoring these these bills are also people whose districts have benefited the most from sooner care expansion, right? Um, they don't like sooner care expansion. They don't like medical marijuana. 
Um, they don't like the fact that a recreational marijuana is going to pass when it goes on the ballot on March 7th. Um, and, and, and so they want to give, they want to give a vocal minority vetoed power over what the rest of Oklahoma approves, right? They want to create, they want to create the electoral college for initial initiative petitions in Oklahoma, um, initiative petitions in Oklahoma. And, and I guess I would love to have one of them on the show and say, what problem are you trying to fix? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what they'll say is rural Oklahomans are having things forced upon them by urban Oklahomans. And I would say, okay, but what you want is for rural Oklahomans to be able to force their opinions on urban Oklahomans. Right. Right. Like that's what you want. Um, yeah, and the there's a bill I think uh, I think Hamilton is the author that would do a change like that, right? Where you'd have to pass by a majority of counties, and that bill is openly unconstitutional. Like that violates the the one person one vote um, standard uh, because uh, because half the population lives in five counties: Oklahoma, Tulsa, Cleveland, Payne, and Comanche County gets to like forty eight percent, so darn near close, right? So add in any other county, six counties live in uh is half the population and so you don't have to have a majority of counties to defeat that like that's half the people right there Um, and so i don't think that's going to go anywhere i don't think it'll even be heard i mean for people that seem to be very very you know uh uh hmm, you know emotional and professing their love for the constitution a lot of them don't seem to really understand much about what it says yeah, and there's there's an interesting bill, um, the Senate Senate Bill one 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 zero by Shane Jett. It just adds one sentence that it says that the ballot title shall be written on the eighth grade comprehension level. And in general, you know me, I'm a proponent of making things more accessible and readable to more people. I'm 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 not saying I'm opposed to this necessarily. I'd like to go back and review past ballot titles to see how many met that criteria but also i wonder if there's in some cases in order to meet other criteria like it is impossible to write it on that level because of the content right like it is already limited to 200 words it has to include a fiscal impact statement there's like all these things in there and just this phrase like fiscal impact statement that alone might not be <laughs> yeah meet the eighth grade here's reading level. here's the thought here's the thought Maybe we pump a lot of money into education so that most adults in Oklahoma can understand things that are written above an eighth grade reading level. There's an idea. There's an idea. Um, Yeah. So we'll be watching these and, and pretty soon listeners in the next couple of weeks, um, we'll have some like bill sheets or like bill trackers on our website to track some of these things, um, particularly those dealing with democracy, elections, voting, um, I'd love to have Senator Julia Kurt on sometime to talk about her legislation. She's got two bills I think are really interesting that I'd like to mention. Um, one of which is um, about automatic voter registration and one that is about um, online voter registration. That one I'll say first, she's filed this bill before. It would seek to implement or to give a deadline by which online voter reg should be enacted, right? It's already legal. It's already been passed. The election board just hasn't done it yet. And she tried this last year, you know, setting a date of like December 31st. That's what this one would do. Um, 
and we'll see if it goes anywhere. I think mostly like it's important that we let the election board know that the legislature is watching, right? The, the people are watching and we want this. Um, and at least there needs to be more information. We need some updates about what's happening with online voter registration because it's a huge deal. Like it's a hardship for people to find the papers and mail it and all the, the rigmarole you got to go through to get registered to vote now. Relatedly, the other bill, I think it's Senate Bill 92, um, also by Kurt, would implement a, uh, an automatic voter registration system. And the language um, basically says the Secretary of State would like create a system where they the state proactively identifies people who are eligible and not yet registered, right? Presumably by looking through other state databases, driver's licenses, Medicaid recipients, SNAP recipients, you know, I don't know, whatever else. And like cross-reference and be like, are you registered to vote? If not, we're going to, we're going to send you a letter and say, hey, uh, Scott Melson, our records indicate that you should be registered to vote. We're going to register you to vote. Um, you don't have to do anything else unless you don't want to. Like you can opt out. So if you don't want to, let us know. Otherwise, we'll get you registered and we'll send you a card in about a month. Um, as a way to proactively do this. And in states that have implemented this kind of automatic voter registration, certainly those that have implemented also an online system for those for people to do it on their own, we've seen a pretty substantial increase in the number of um, people who register to vote. And often we see a cost savings on the state side because they don't have to, like it's all the, all the systems are electronic anyway, and they don't have to, um, spend personnel time and money printing as many forms and going through all of this stuff that that they can do on the computer behind the scenes automatically. So this could be great. Could save the state money. Could get more folks registered to vote. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Love anything that gets people registered to vote. Nice. Um, Scott, any bills that you haven't seen that you kind of missed this year? Um... No, but honestly, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gone through in a ton of detail yet. It seems like, I mean, Dom has some stuff that's absolutely insane that you know is never, is not going to go anywhere. Um, I mean, no, Dom has a bill because uh, we're we're training some Ukrainians on, uh, I believe, on a, on the Patriot system, yeah. the Patriot Patriot system that's happening at Fort Sill, and uh, Dom had a bill that would basically uh, tell the federal government that they're not allowed to bring Ukrainian soldiers to Fort Sill in Oklahoma uh, to, to, to train on the Patriot system. And uh, he put it out, he put it on a press release and within 24 hours, um, like the house Senate Republican or the uh, Senate Republican conference. And I think maybe the house Republican conference too, put out a joint statement. They were basically like, we fully support training the Ukrainians and like, yeah, it was, it was it was like on Mean Girls, where they're like, "He doesn't even go here." Right, right, right. It was just, yeah, just blow the the mind boggles. Yeah, you know, I didn't see any bills dealing with teachers applying sunscreen to children or hunting feral hogs from helicopters with assault rifles. We've seen those kind of legislation in the past. I guess those issues have been dealt with. I mean, one hopes. Right, I was a little disappointed. Those were that didn't one hopes that those leave. have been solved previously. There was some fun debate, though, especially the one about the feral hogs, which is a legitimate issue. I don't the whole helicopter assault rifle business seems 
I mean, a little over the top, but what do I know? Um, and then Scott, we probably don't have time today, but we should talk more about this in the future. Um, there was a story, I think back in December, even maybe in early, yeah, maybe it was early January that the Oklahoma state department of health was going to take back control uh, and oversight of the public health lab, which used to be in Oklahoma city here at the state department of health. And they the governor moved it to Stillwater to this um, pandemic center. And they had a private company, a private nonprofit that came out of nowhere, allegedly, that was managing the lab. And I guess that's over. And now it's going back to the state. And I suspect we will hear more about this in the future because it just seems yes. a little smelly. Yes. Yes, very much, very much. I think there's, yeah, I think there's a lot that's kind of kind of come out about this. You know, so far, I, you know, it's no exaggeration. I, I mean, I would, I think it's no exaggeration to say that the, the, uh, the moving of the public health lab to Stillwater and and having it run by this private entity has been an, an abject, utter disaster. Yeah, they don't even have the funding for the pandemic yeah. center yet. Like in the legislature, yeah. this was done without the legislatures uh, signing off on it. Yeah. Um, they, you know, paid this company two and a half million dollars to do it. And no one's really sure what they did. Um, there's, you know, the health department spent 30 million to move the public health lab up there and then, um, has had to kind of keep it afloat. It's been, it's been a boondoggle, Scott. It's been a boondoggle. (laughs) Well, if there's going to be a billion dollar boondoggle, we would just like, we would just like to share in it, please. Right. Yeah. I can. Yeah. Give me half that. And I guarantee you have a a more functional public health lab. All right, folks. Well, that's all we've got for today. Scott, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Hey man. Thanks for, uh, you know, we thought we could, we thought that we, I'm going to, I'm going to bust out a mic could here. We thought we might could meet in person today. It didn't work out, but hopefully next week, uh, hopefully next week. That's right. Listeners, keep an eye on the weather and the national weather service and your local meteorologist in the next few days. It looks like we might be in for some nasty weather next week. Uh, also, it could not happen at all. Winter weather is extremely difficult to forecast because it comes down to like, is it going to be 31 degrees or 33 degrees? And that's pretty hard to be precise everywhere. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, do some exercise, folks, like gear up, uh, do some yoga, some deep breathing. Legislative session is coming. Um, let's all be... I've been listening to the Daily Stoic podcast to get in the zone. We can get through this together. Um, and I think that let's fix this. We've got some really exciting um, stuff coming up in the next few months that we will keep you in the loop about. Lots of opportunities for you to get involved um, and to begin helping us build a better framework and a better infrastructure and a better platform for civic engagement throughout Oklahoma. Anyway, as we say every week, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.